if you've got a Bible, please turn to Romans chapter 7, verse 4. And I'm just going to read it uh, to you just for a little moment. You were made for relationships, whether you think you were or not. Whatever your personality is, whatever your personality type is, you were made to be in relationship. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says here. He says, so my brothers and sisters, see what he calls them? He calls them family, doesn't he? Brothers and sisters, you also died to the law. What he means there is you died to that old self-effort religion where you drove your car like a devil because you were trying to work uh, your way to heaven by self-effort. He's saying that you died to all that religion where you have to do it for yourself. You died to that. Uh, Through the body of Christ, through the fact that Jesus gave his body for you. Now look at this. I would have expected the next sentence to say, so that your sins may be forgiven. But it doesn't. It says this. That you may belong to one another, to him who raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit to God, that you might belong to another. You don't belong to yourself, you belong to Jesus. But your belonging is is to him, and because you're in him, you can belong to each other. In order that we might bear fruit for God. In other words, you can't be as productive as you as you need to be, unless you understand that you belong. Belong to God and belong to each other. When you were growing up, did you play with magnets ever at all? You know, where two magnets can attract each other and stick together. Uh, You might have had something in England, we had something called an etch-a-sketch, which is like iron filings in a little screen and you twiddle some buttons and it kind of draws a picture. And the pictures on the advertisement were always elaborate. I could barely draw a stick man with my Etch-A-Sketch. But that was all worked on magnets. Would anybody know that if you put two magnets together, they stick together? But if you turn them in opposites, they actually repel each other, don't they? And you can't put them together at all. Because there's a force between them. Let me tell you something about you. There is a gravitational pull, like gravity, in your heart. Every human heart actually moves towards relationships. If somebody feels left out or out of the crowd, they, there's a tug in their heart to say, this shouldn't be. Underneath all the complications about relationships and relationships with, with each other and with God can be uh, really complicated and get messed up sometimes. But despite all of that, there is a cry in our hearts that sounds a little bit like this. Help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. Help. You know I need somebody. Help. Does anybody know what I'm saying? When I was younger, so much younger than today, I never needed anybody's help in any other way. But now those days are gone, and I'm not so self-assured. Now I've found, I've changed my mind, and opened up the doors. Everybody join me. Help me if you can, I'm feeling down. 
And I do appreciate you being round. Won't you help me get my feet back on the ground? Big finish. Won't you please, please help me? And that's like it's like that in our hearts. In our hearts, there's one or two of us, and there may be more of us sitting there going, Help! I really need somebody. I used to think I could do it by myself, but actually, I have come to know that I really need other people. But despite our great need of belonging, we tend to mess up, don't we, in, in this area. When was the last time that you said something that you wished you'd not said? This morning? When was the last time that you thought, oh, I wish I'd not done this? You know, you see me here, and I know you see me as the finished, mature article, completely Christ-like. Some of you may be, maybe not. And I know you see me here, but when I was a younger pastor, this may surprise you, I made some mistakes. And this wasn't, and just let me make this clear, this isn't Ivy and Darren who said this to me. A young lady in my church, she came to me and she said, Pastor, I've got some exciting news. I, I, I'm, I'm getting engaged. And me thinking of the last person that I thought she'd get engaged to when, oh, it's not so-and-so, is it? And she went, actually it is. That was not a good moment in my pastoral career. I, I shouldn't have said anything. I should have waited to see who it was. And the relationship with that person didn't recover for a while because I'd said, oh, I can't possibly be that person. He's a doofus. No, that was not good. Have you ever said anything? This is a very lonely platform sometimes <laughs> because you all just look back at me and say, I would have never done that. There's no way I would have ever done that. How can you even call yourself a minister? Rip your collar off and throw it away. We did that years ago. But seriously, because of our disconnection with God, we have a flaw to build healthy relationships time. And, and without his help, and without good teaching from the scriptures, and without readjusting our minds, and not leaving everything to chance and naturalness, and, and just how things pan out, we don't build relationships properly. But because of him, we can. And one of the advantages of being a Christian is you learn to love. And it's a painful journey sometimes. It's a difficult journey. But one of the great things is that you can become so that you can belong. For some of you, you've had a lot of pain about belonging. You've been the person on the outside. You know, high school can be a tough place. You don't get it. I mean, our young people, when they're, when they're here, you know, I pray for them because it's difficult at school sometimes. The slightest difference is picked up on. None of you who go to work, some people, when you go to work, if you have new glasses like I had, you know, people are just polite and smile whether they like them or not. 
at school, they say, who's that? Specky-doo, you know. And you've had that. You've had people say things to you. You've had people turn their back on you. You've had people treat you badly. And you might have that, that even today in your workplace. Paul said, you've come to Christ that you might belong to another. That it's not all down to you. That because you belong to Christ, you can then be fruitful and you can be fruitful in your relationships. And for some of us, but for all of us actually, who might be by personality or background have a difficult job of of building bridges and building relationships and you might have had things that's, that's caused you to struggle in the past. There's good, good news for you. The fact that you belong to Christ means you can build relationships. Can I hear an amen agreement? Even though you're shy, for some extroverts, they, they think, oh, I want a lame sermon. Of course we can all belong. But some people really struggle with that. Some people, because of their background, struggle with it. And, and for some of us, we leave, we leave our belonging and our involvement with each other and with God to just our natural commitment and, and our natural personalities. But actually, you need to deepen in your relationships. You need to be a catalyst for those people who can't make relationships as easy as you. Here's a foundational truth today. I know that the world doesn't like talking about truth, but here is a truth. You are made for relationships, especially if you are in Christ and a committed Christian. But actually, as a human being, you are designed to be in relationship with other people. It's riven, it's deeply put into your makeup that you are to relate to each other. Biologists will tell you that, that humans are made to cry out and relate to each other. Chemists, scientists will say there is stuff in our DNA. But actually, scripturally, let me just say to you why you don't need to think that, well, this is okay for the beautiful Hollywood people, but what about me who've been so trampled on? There are four, just quick, I'm just going to give you four quick reasons and clear reasons why you need belonging. And the first one is, You are designed to belong. One of the very first proclamations that that jars in the Old Testament is in chapter 2 of Genesis, verse 18. In Genesis, the first two chapters, it's kind of a poem to tell you how the world was created. And and I take that literally and seriously and uh, about it, but it is nevertheless a poem. And all the way through chapter 1, you you have read this many times, and God, when he creates something, says, and he created light, and he saw that the light, it was good. And all the way through chapter 1, he says, he created this, it was good. He created this, it was good. He created this, it was good. And actually, he comes to the end of the chapter, and he says, he created humankind, and he says, it was very good. And what has a poetical kind of... uh, methodology, the poet is building up the the sense of truth that what God does is good. 
His creation's God. And, but when he comes to humans, he says, you're very good. Hey, why don't you just take a little moment to turn to the person next to you and say, you're very good. Why don't you do that? Just encourage somebody. You're very good. But here's the thing. We get to chapter 2. Having said, this is good, this is good, this is good, this is good, this is good. The light's good, the vegetation's good, the birds are good, the, the creatures are good, everything's good. And then in chapter 2, verse 18, comes a shard, a, a jolt out of the blue in the poem. And in the, in the literature, he says, it is not good. Hang on, you've just said, it is good, it is good, it is good. It is not good for man to be alone. It's not good. And, and thank you for that desperate person who wants a wife. <laughs> you know what? There are other churches where they never have a laugh. And what God is saying is, we are only good when we are male and female, when we're in a relationship, when we are families together, when we are a society together. By design, he's saying it is good. It is not good for you to be alone. It is not good for you to draw up your drawbridge and say, relationships have hurt me too much. I'm never going back there. It is not good. And so over these next few weeks, when we investigate some things about how we relate to each other and belong, understand this, that by design, remember that you are designed. In fact, in Genesis 1.27, uh, the Bible says, let us make man in our image. Let us make humans in our image. And what God means is that I, I'm Father, I'm Son, I'm Holy Spirit, and I relate. I'm in relationship already. And our image is, is that we are to be in relationships. I think some marriages can be really lonely because you've got your woman or you've got your man, but you don't relate to anybody else. It is not good for us to be alone. So we were designed to belong. So no matter your personality, you are designed to be with God and to be with others. The second reason why belonging is good for us is we're shaped by belonging. We, we, we need the sandpaper of each other's rubbing and shaping us and, and being honest mirrors to us to say, I really think that this would be good for you. Now, we don't need busybodies and we don't need people to meddle in people's lives, but when you belong, it can be a source of character building and healing to each other. There are times when we all need a friend to hold a mirror up in front of us. And the Bible uses a word in Colossians 3 verse 16 and also in 1 Thessalonians 5. It says we can admonish one another. In fact, it says let the word of Christ or the message of Christ dwell in you amongst you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit singing to God with gratitude. And that word admonish in English we use it as a bit of a punitive or a telling off thing. But actually in the Greek, what it means is you teach somebody with instruction. 
that you, that you say to them, well, the canon of the Bible says this. I'm not just telling you off. I'm actually saying the Bible says this, and this may be a better way for you. It makes you more productive. It's not just remonstrating with people. It's teaching people with Scripture. And in relationships, there are times when our friends need to speak into our lives, and we need healing words. In fact, in the Old Testament, there's there's a chap named Job, and he says this, but my mouth will encourage you. Comfort from my lips would bring you relief. In Proverbs 15, verse 14, it says, verse 4 says, the soothing tongue is a tree of life. I wonder if we can shape each other by belonging or whether you're, the drawbridge is so much up in your life that nobody gets to say anything to you. We can shape each other. I wonder if there's a situation where you're drowning in it and you need a friend to come alongside and just speak some healing words and say, you know, it's not as bad as you think. See, that's what belonging does. The third reason why we need belonging is together we can do more. If you've got a Bible, you could perhaps turn to 1 Corinthians 12 and in that passage there, there's a whole passage about how we're a body, how, how we act as a large, organic, functioning body with different functions for each. And what the Bible teaches there is, don't say that you don't need somebody else. In fact, the Bible says, if you the, can the hand say to the foot, I don't need you? Because actually what it's teaching is, together we do more. And so belonging... And functioning together means that your life is more productive. And actually, I'll just move on to the fourth reason why we can be, uh, we need belonging. And it's the same kind of, it's the same teaching is that not only together can we do more, but your individual gifts are sharpened by belonging into the whole. So I want to just encourage over the next two, three weeks just begin to begin to think about your belonging in BCC and think, how am I growing? How am I being sharpened? By, by becoming active and more uh, involved in your belonging, your gifts will be complemented by others and sharpened by others. You can't say, I don't need you. In fact... 1 Corinthians 12 makes the point about different parts and it makes a, it's kind of humorous in some parts where it says, if, if we're, nobody was the nose, where would the smelling be? We need some people who can sniff out what God is doing. We, we need some people with discerning eyes. That, that maybe can't find the words to say it, that speak it out, and the nose parts of the body go, you're right, there's something good going on here. Or, conversely, I don't like the smell of this. You see, there's a sharpening and a protection in the body. I wonder what it would be like if you decided that, hey, the ministers do absolutely everything. You know, what if we got rid of all these nice chairs and we got even more comfy settees 
and sofas in the place. We just packed the place out. And you came and you got handed popcorn and you lay down as you come. And the ministers would, would do the car park, teach the kids, run around, you know, rub your feet if they were sore from walking here. And we just, you know, we, that would be our absolute privilege to do that. If that's the level of service we need to do. We would die. You would kill us. But we would do it. Would you be happy with that? Are you happy just to lay back? And let your great gifts, those unique things that God has put in you, to atrophy and to, to crystallize and fossilize so that great potential that you have is just taken over by someone else. Because you never use it. God, when he teaches about the body, says the foot can't say to the hand, I don't need you. But if everybody was an ear, where would the smelling be? We are designed to belong. It's very important that we find our place, both in the church, in our street, and everywhere. You were designed to belong. And that doesn't matter about your personality. We're designed to belong because we can build each other up and heal each other by belonging. We're designed to belong because our gifts are needed by each other. We're designed to belong because we achieve much more together. And I know that some of us have been leaving that to chance or personality. Not everybody's like me. People think that, you know, standing on the platform, what a great job. There'll be some people who would die if you asked them to come up here and kill us too. I'm an outgoing person. I know that. The other day, you know, uh, please, don't, please don't curse this in Jesus' name. I've got a bit of osteoarthritis in my knee. Everybody say, oh, Okay, I'm praying about it, God will heal it, and all of that. I was late for the doctors uh, to, to hear that news, by the way. You know, I'm thinking, oh, I'm really late. And I'm thinking, this is going to be great. He's going to give me something to heal this. He just gives me bad news. So I was late for bad news. And uh, there's a Muslim lady across our street with her sister, and I was really late. And uh, because I was late, I was going to be late for the doctors. I hate being late for the doctors and, uh, and all of that. And uh, she was turning her car around. I just knocked on her window and said, can I have a ride? And she went, yeah, sure. I commandeered her car for God's work. Me. For some of you, you never do that. You would never do that. That's a personality thing. But you know what? There's something about her helping me that really blessed her. It kind of broke the ice in our street, in our neighborhood thing. And I feel like we can chat now. How about you? Are some things just locked up inside? I'm going to close, but I want you, everyone, to turn with me to Genesis chapter 11, verse 27. And if you've got a Bible, they'll put it on the screen as well. 
Because I want to say, don't allow even legitimate hurts and relational issues to pull you away from God's plan. Are you there in Genesis chapter uh, 11? Let's just read something and I'll map it out for us on, on, the, on the flip chart here. This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Abram later on becomes Abraham. And Haran became the father of Lot. And while his father, Terah, was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldees, in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. Now the name of Abram's wife was Sarai. She became Sarah. And the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran who had died. The father of both Milcah and Iskar. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldees to go to where? Canaan. Abram, it's actually his dad who's going to Canaan. But when they came to a city that sounds like his dead son's name, Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years and he died in Haran. Can you watch this with me? And let me just make some family observations and then we're going to wrap up. First of all, Terah is the dad. Okay? Now, his granddad is named Serug and his, and his granddad is a son called Nahor. So it's not unusual, is it, to name one of your children after your dad? So Nahor is named after Terah's dad. And Terah has these three sons, Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now, you'll have to watch my writing because geniuses don't have very neat writing. Okay. Now, Terah has children when he's 70. He's an older parent. And his dad actually had children when he was 29, 30. So there's a bit of pressure on Terah by his dad who's living with him saying, when are you going to have kids? Who's ever said that to you? <laughs> Parents, don't pressurize your children. Okay? So he's an older parent, and he has Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. Now, Haran has two daughters, Milcah and Iskar. And what happens is, is that during the course of time, Haran dies. This uncle dies. 
And actually in the Hebrew, when it says that he dies, it says that terror, she di- he dies in the presence of terror. In other words, not just during his lifetime, but he's actually there at the death. It's a tough thing, isn't it, to lose your kids? It's a hard thing, isn't it, to lose your own son? And actually, he's lost the son that's had two little granddaughters. Now, Haran uh, also is the father of Lot. Okay? So it's difficult for terror. So, here's the strange thing. Nahor takes Milcah as his wife. So Uncle Nahor marries his niece. Now, Whatever you think about this culturally, uh, that they are supposed to, because he died, look after the daughters, actually, there is no record of Iskar being looked after. So even if this is a cultural thing, somebody's left out. And even if this is a cultural thing, it's still a generational thing, and it's a little bit weird, don't you think? I mean, ladies, just think about one of your favorite uncles. Would you marry them? Really? Even if he is looking after you? I mean, that wrinkly old geezer, that's who you're supposed to marry? Abraham marries a wife, and her name is Sarai. And it's not only that she doesn't have children, the Bible says she cannot conceive. So she cannot have children. Now, during the course of time, and I don't know why this fully happens, and I'll just do some speculation with you, but Terah takes Abram, he takes Sarai, and Lot, his grandchild, he takes him, oh, because of the wall, okay, he takes him, and they are called to Canaan, God's promised land. It's actually Abraham's father, that they are on the way to Canaan. But as they travel along, and I don't know why Nahor doesn't go with them. Maybe it's this marriage, and maybe that's a little bit awkward, and and why he's left out. By the way, how's your family? Is it simple, or is it complicated, and does stuff happen? Does somebody not speak to somebody else, and has somebody died, and... Is it all a bit mixed up? You, you, you should think about your family. Your family is not going to rule you to go to God's promised land. It's not going to rule you out. So they set out for Canaan, and very, very interestingly, they come across a city, and in your Bible, it will have a double R, but in Hebrew, it sounds exactly the same It's just got a different inflection to the name of the dead son that died. And it says that they get to Haran and they settle there. In Hebrew, the word settle means that they sit down. And actually, the name Haran means a mountain climber. 
a mountaineer. My mountaineer has been taken away from me. And the name of the city of Haran, because it's got a little inflection point, means a dry place. And I just wonder whether in the mind of this dad who's lost his son, whether he gets to the city that reminds him of his son instead of the mountain climber that he's sitting down in a dry place. Could it be possible when you map it out that someone who was meant to go to Canaan stops at a city that sounds like his son's name because he's stuck in grief over this boy. And he stops. There are several reasons why we don't build relationships and why we don't go on in God's plan and why we stop short. And one of those reasons is grief. Because we've lost something or someone. And it's legitimate that we have that grief. And that grief needs to be processed. And that grief needs to be talked about. And that grief needs to be celebrated and mourned over. But if you stay there, you won't get to the promise And the promised land that God always wanted you to have. If you stay in that tragedy, you can't move past it. And in the New Testament, it tells us that we can be comforted with the comfort of Christ. And can I say to you that although your grief may be legitimate, God's plan for you is bigger than your loss. And you can move through it past it, even though it will always be a part of you. Understand that God has got a Canaan for you, no matter what. So don't stay in that hurt, that grief, that injury, that always being the the person who was alone in the playground. Don't stay in that. So that you feel like, I can't possibly travel past this. Don't sit there and dwell there, but receive the comfort of Christ, and that is why you need belonging, because you'll need some traveling partners to get you to Canaan if you'll receive it. And Daddy Canaan, Daddy Terah, did not receive. Abraham was a bit clueless, Sarah was childless, Lot was fatherless, and he was struck with grief. Some families are difficult. But nevertheless, God has a Canaan for you. Amen? And if you stay there, you won't inherit it. And and actually, I feel like as a pastor that I'm on holy ground now because your loss and your grief is really important. But God's plan for you and God's bigger Canaan promised land for you And God's opportunities for you are yet more important. And I say that with great respect to your loss. The reason why we don't build relationships, secondly, is that we're afraid of being rejected. If you know me, you won't like me. And we need to hear that in Christ, that you're accepted. 
whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, or whether you flip-flop between the two and become an ambivert, whatever vert you are actually, you're accepted in Christ. In fact, it might be good to say amen. Amen, I am accepted in Christ. Even though sometimes I'm so outward going, I meet myself coming back, I'm accepted in Christ with my foibles and my failings, With my very public display of mistakes, Christ, you love me more than anybody else's approval. God loves you no matter what. You are accepted. And sometimes we don't build relationships, we don't don't belong, because it's a kind of, you know what, I just think that if I really get involved, they won't like me anyway. Because all through my life I've suffered rejection. It's time for you to lay that down. And some of us who are very busy people, we don't build relationships because we've got enough in our lives. We've reached capacity. Pastor Mark, please don't ask me to have one more friend because I just can't fit it in my schedule. I am so busy. And what Christ would say is, are you sure you've got your priorities right? Is everything that you're so busy with really what he wants you to do? Because we're to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and everything else takes care of itself. Grief, fear of rejection and being maxed out at our capacity and sometimes we look at the Bible and we think the families are so perfect. Well, here's one that I am not sure is perfect but God uses Abraham to bring Christ and be the promised one. How's your family? If we came round and looked, who do you think you are? And they made a television program of your, your family. Do you think, I don't want that putting out there? Look in the Bible. We're not perfect people. We've just got a promise before us. I'm going to ask you all to stand with me because I want to share one last thing. And perhaps Natalie and the team could come. Because I want to ask some people in a moment to be ever so brave. You know, Nahor here, this chap, Nahor, he stays behind and with Milka, his niece, they have eight sons. They're very productive as a family. Him and Milka and Nahor, they have eight sons. But here's the deal. Here's the thing. The next time Abraham finds out about Nahor, the very next episode, after Abraham has given up Isaac and said, here's Isaac, I'm ready to sacrifice him, and God stops his hand and says, no, don't sacrifice him. The very next verses, Abraham is told, oh, by the way, remember your brother, Nahor, he's had eight, eight sons. And what Abraham could have done is said, flipping in God. I've almost given you my one son and with this kind of weird uncle you've produced eight sons and sometimes you can get so jealous of what other people have got and what their journey took and what God seemed to overlook and what God didn't do with them and what he's done with you and he's asked you to do this and God it's really unfair and, and why didn't they join in and all of that He didn't do any of that. He just kept his heart because later on, Nahor has a son called Bethuliel who is the father of Rebekah who for that one son of Isaac becomes Abraham's hope 
that his only son Isaac finds a great wife from his own people and then Christ's line is protected. God has got a plan for you. He's going to protect you. Don't worry about what he's doing with other people. God has a plan for you. He's got a Canaan for you to march towards. Where are you sitting? Have you given up? Have you said to God, it's too hard, God. It's too hard. I'm staying in the dry place. You know why. And you could say to God, you know what, this is legitimate. And God's saying, I know it's legitimate, but my promise for you is bigger. It's better. Move on. So what's the thing in your life that you have lost that you're still holding on to and it's blocking God's plan for you? Don't look to the left, don't look to the right, but look what God has for you. I'm going to ask Natalie to lead us in a song and our songs are our prayers just set to music. I've just want to ask you just to respect this moment and nobody leave just right now and that we just pray together because in a few moments I'm going to ask one or two brave souls to say you know what God I'm bringing you the fact that I was the only person standing in the playground sometimes and everybody else rejected me I'm bringing you that because I don't want that memory to stop me going further in you you might have had a real loss I know that in our first service A dad who lost his son came and just gave that to God and said it'll still hurt, but I'm just making sure that you're first in it. But whatever you're stuck in, God can unpick it and heal it gently and kindly, but eventually you're going to need some people to process through with you as well. Because nothing is better than going to the place that God calls you to. Nothing. Amen. Shall we sing together and let's express our belonging to him.